Hi everyone, welcome back to Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Today I'm excited to welcome Laura Waters-Brown as our featured guest for this episode. Laura serves as the director of The Collective at Wasserman. Laura shares her incredible career journey with us. As a Division I collegiate volleyball player at South Carolina State University, she explored many potential career paths, but her passion for sports and people guided her path into the industry. With the help of her strong network, she gained valuable experiences and built the foundation of her career with the Cleveland Browns and the PGA Tour in digital marketing. Laura now serves as a leader with the collective at Wasserman and contributes to its mission to create equity and fairness for women and athletes in women's sports, music, and culture. When you literally put the, the egos and the logos and the credit aside, this industry could do really good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and could do good work and good change. And when you do good work, um, you can do good business too. Like those things are not, you know, opposites of each other. You can do both at the same time. All right, Laura. So you went to South Carolina State University and you received your bachelor's in marketing. How did you make your college selection? And what was the original vision you had for your career um, with your marketing degree? Yeah, thank you. This is a great question. Um, I feel like the answer to that question should be well thought out and <laughs> should, should um, you know, sit or reside in some type of like, you know, I put 15 schools on the board and did extensive research and all of that. And that is not the case. Um, I was a I was a college athlete. So my main focus on on the next level of education for me was deeply rooted in athletics and where I was going to go to be able to play volleyball. Um, So for me, I had very few um, qualifications. I knew I didn't want to be in the snow. I knew (laughs) I wanted to play volleyball and I knew I didn't want to be in Ohio. I went to South Carolina State University um, on my official visit and I had never seen a real life cotton field before until I got to Orangeburg, South Carolina. So that was a shocker. And then just being on campus and being and seeing so many different kinds of black is what sold me. Um, Mm -hmm. I had never really experienced or knew much about historically black colleges and universities uh, until I went to, to South Carolina State. Your high school experience, was it diverse? No. No, uh, my high school, there. yeah, my high school was very much, I think we were less than 10% racially diverse now, which, which is, is, is wild to think about now when you see the school um, and its population in the city now, because it is extremely um, diverse in, in population and gender and racial ethnicity and all of the things. Um, and actually, one of my one of my former AAU t- teammates in basketball is the pre- is the uh, principal now. Oh wow, wow, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> well, <laughs> and and you're, like your point, like when you in high school, you didn't have the diversity makeup of your school. So when you went to college, you see, like you said, all this different versions of black, you know, and just sort of mm-hmm. finding yourself in this place. Did you feel a sense of like I belong here? Like, did you get that sense of belonging? 
Yes, very much so. I think I tell people all the time for the first time, being in the majority um, really changes how you see yourself. Um, yeah. And at such a young age, you know, when you're when you're 18, um, 18 and, and female and, you know, you leave high school a place where you didn't get asked out on dates or you know, you, you weren't able to hang out with everybody because of who your parents are. And you go to this new place where you are one of many, um, where, you know, the way your hair is, is not foreign. Um, or, you know, just, you know, mannerisms or um, traditions, how you're raised, um, all of those things, all of those micro um details that yeah. we develop and experience as we grow up going to an HBCU for me was awakening like mm. I came out much more confident in who I am as a person um in an individual um I came out with understanding the more of the the multicultural diaspora um just even just here in the states <laughs> and the different <laughs> dialects within this country and backgrounds and history. Um, but also I think you learn a different history that isn't taught in, mm -hmm. in primary education. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so true. And I'm, I'm happy to hear you got that experience and that you were able to walk away with such an awakening. I think that's so profound and probably helped shape obviously the professional you are today, obviously. And tell me a little bit about your marketing degree. Like, you know, obviously you're a college athlete, which obviously shaped your college experience, but how did you determine that a marketing degree was the right degree for you and sort of the vision you had with what you were going to do with that degree while you were in college? Yeah, again, another question I feel like I should have this big profound <laughs> answer for, but it's just not, I am, the, I am the poster child for, I had no clue what I wanted to do after yeah. college when I got to, got to school. I knew I wanted to play volleyball. That's it. Point yeah. That's it. I wanted to play volleyball. Um, I had an idea. I wanted to actually be in, in orthopedic surgeon mm. just because of sports. Yeah. And at that time, coming through college, there weren't a lot of careers um, that you saw in sport. And so you saw, like, I saw an orthopedic surgeon, um, because I'd been to multiple doctors in my athletic career. You saw coaches. And that's really kind of it. You know, trainers, strength and conditioning, things like that. But that's really it. And even then, strength and conditioning wasn't as big as it is today, nutrition, not as big as it is today. Right. And so for me, the only pathway that I saw that kept me in sports was being an orthopedic surgeon. Mm. Um, and I very quickly learned that I am not for the medical degree. <laughs> uh, I think I got into one semester and then I got started to get into organic chemistry. And I studied so hard so hard, probably the hardest that I'd ever had to study in my entire life. And I got a B, like <laughs> barely a B. And I was like, this, I can't live this life for the next <laughs> 12 years. So I actually switched my major to biology education because then I was like, okay, well, if I can't be an orthopedic surgeon, I'll teach and then coach. It'll yeah. be great. Hey, um, <laughs> exactly. I had these credits. Um, under, it made sense. And so I started to get into the education curriculum 
father's an educator, a retired educator. And so I think the patience you have to have is something that I don't. And so I changed my major again. I think I went to just overall business administration at that point. Mm-hmm. It's now probably like my junior year. And, you know, our senior women's administrator is down my neck because she's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have to have so many credits in order and advance in your degree in order to remain eligible. Um, and so I ended up having to take actually summer school classes. Um, and so I was like, I'll just keep, you know, my science credits and I'll get a, a major in business and minor in science. Mm. That way I can keep my credits. We can all be happy. I'll go to summer school. Everything will be great. Got into the, the business admin curriculum and it was very strict, yeah. very black and white, very old school business, very much predicated on you can go into accounting, you can go into economics, you can go into business management. Those are your tracks, those are your options. And you have to wear a black skirt suit (laughs) um, with a pastel button up shirt. And that is the only way that you will be successful. Very rigid. And that's just not me. No, if you, if you, not at all, anyone who knows me, <laughs> if you put a box in front of me, I'm going to look at the box and then go around it just on principle. <laughs> and that was what that degree was. And so I made a last ditch effort and changed it to marketing to literally get out of some of my professor's classes, ended up in marketing and really found my niche because it wasn't just business. I was able to take like psychology classes and and learn about consumer behavior and learn about the brain and how people think. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how you use business principles to, every time I say it, it sounds so bad, but it is what marketing is, is I am understanding you as a consumer, how you think, how you purchase, what influences your decisions. And I am adjusting my goals and my product or whatever I'm selling to meet those needs. Yep. <laughs> and one and before you knew it, I it was time to get out. And I had met I barely met my my <laughs> curriculum requirements and graduated with honors. Uh, surprise to all, including my, me and my parents. Uh, but was able to make it out with a degree in marketing and random 18 science credits that are not accounted for in any of my diplomas. (laughs) I love it. I mean, your experience, I imagine as people are listening, have had similar experiences or actually experiencing what you've experienced right now. And I mean, as you tell your story, I felt so connected because I was in a similar situation. I thought athletic training was going to be my path. I went to sort of a you know, job study, you know, go out to the women's soccer team and watch them mm-hmm. sort of job shadow. And I hated it. You know, and I, changed, yeah. I changed the marketing for the same reason that you did. I love the psychology of how consumers think and how to shape a product or your sales process. Hence why I went down the revenue sales path, you know, mm-hmm. um, to meet the needs of individuals and providing them something they needed, they wanted. Yeah. You know, so I knew I wanted to take that into the sports industry. And so my focus Mm -hmm. all along was to work in sports. But at the time, you know, I think you and I both sounds like we experienced similar things. Like you just didn't know that that was a thing yet. Um, Yeah. So so you had to you had to sort of figure out how to get in there. After you graduated, you landed an opportunity in fan experience and promotions with Ohio State University. So share with us now how you then navigated into this first career opportunity and what you learned from that experience. I am a 100 percent product of having really smart people around me 
I think if I would have been left to my own uh, devices, I I don't know where I, I'd probably still be waiting tables <laughs> um, and loving it. Like I loved waiting tables and bartending. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, but I actually landed the internship at Ohio State because of uh, my family's from Ohio. Um, and there was an internship opportunity that um, I applied for um, and was able to um, get in there for, for two years and work closely alongside some of the best in the business. Um, Diana Sabo, I credit her with, with a lot of uh, my outlook on how you show up to work and appearance. I think she had purple hair at the time, <laughs> which was to me just, you know, coming from South Carolina State was the most amazing thing. She was, you know, uniquely her and she was in a leadership position. Um, and so I was there uh, for, for two years before uh, Jean Smith kicked me out, uh, the, <laughs> the head AD there. Um kicked me out and he uh, basically asked me one day in an elevator, I actually told him this story. He had no clue. He didn't remember. And I told him it was okay. I told him this story the other day. I was like, you know, you're the reason why I work in sports because you told me I couldn't intern here anymore and I had to go back to school. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what I did. But at Ohio State, I was able to really um, – learn from the ground up so mm -hmm. everything from rolling t-shirts I'm a professional burrito t-shirt roller <laughs> like you don't need a rubber band on my shirts when it comes out of the t-shirt cannon it's nice. gonna stay folded um <laughs> that was a skill set that I have um got to work with some some more great people there Beth Malfa um Carrie Snyder Aaron Sauter she's married now I don't know her married name but um <laughs> they really gave me an opportunity to take a little and make a lot I think I had I think my women's soccer budget at the time was like two thousand dollars for the entire season wow and um I remember go I remember going into our marketing meeting with the head coach um and who's great. By the time I left, she's one of my favorite human beings and she loves me. I was given $2,000 to market her sport for an entire season. And I had to get so creative on how to do that. And it was my first shot at really understanding what the demographic was, who the demographic was of that was coming to the games outside of the players' families, mm -hmm. which is families. Um, Columbus is, has always been a big soccer town. There's a lot, huge youth soccer movement in Columbus at the time. And so one of the main promotions we would do on weekends was if you're one of the first, you know, hundred people in the stands or in the door, you got free ice cream cones. <laughs> I learned about budgets. You know, I learned about you have to work with the the vendor, the the F and B vendor in in the facility. So I had to yeah. work with Sodexo and buy it at cost, and had to pay for the cooler to sit out there. And if I wanted to have a Sodexo attendee manning the cooler, that cost extra. So it wasn't there. I had to find an intern to go and man the the cooler to get butts and seats because I only had two thousand dollars. <laughs> like. <laughs> So I got to learn to be really creative um, 
at Ohio State, but also I got to see um, women showing up and showing up across all the sports, whether it was men's or women's sports and Mm -hmm. showing up in ways that were important and revenue generating and the art of creating an experience in an environment, I think is something anybody, everybody should know how to do. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it sounds like this experience was extremely valuable to you, but also eye-opening to your point. I mean, to be given a $2,000 budget for women's soccer is just, that's just insane. Right. <laughs> like it's like insane. today, you that's a lot of ice, but you can buy a lot of ice cream cones. Yes, you can. For $2,000 and you can buy a lot of popcorn. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about popcorn giveaway. You will be fed. Yeah, value add. Soccer without, <laughs> you will be fed. I can guarantee amazing music because I was the DJ um, for, for pregame music. And then once you're there, I've got to fill your time so that you and the seven kids you brought with you are not bored. Yeah, entertained for sure. For sure. Yeah, we had a lot of halftime soccer games. <laughs> I like that. Good group sale. Group sale opportunities. <laughs> Look, I, see? Group yep. sales. Yes, early. Yep, I love it. I love it. So after two years in this role, you mentioned that, you know, Gene told you, like, you, you got to stop being this intern and you got to, you know, can, you know, go back. Yeah, to he school. kicked me out. He kicked you out. <laughs> we'll hold him accountable yeah. for that. So you, yeah. so you decide to then get your master's of business and sports administration at Ohio University. So what, what inspired you then to expand your education? When he told you that, was that like, okay, I'm going to go do this? Or did you sort of already had it planted? How did you sort of come no. to the I When I graduated college, I never wanted to go back to school ever again. I was, I was like, I'm done. I'm not going back to school. I don't want to do it. I went to school to play volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> My parents listen to this. Uh, they're probably going to be super mad at me. But I went to school to play volleyball. Like, that was it. Um, and when I was interning, I was, you know, in my little happy bubble, making whatever little, little bit of money I was making, um, at the time for my, for my internship and then working like five jobs so that I could live life, um, because I was stubborn and obviously didn't live at home. That would have been the smart thing to do, but (laughs) no, I had to have an apartment. I had to have a car, like all bad decisions. Um, but when, when Gene told me, um, he asked me, I was on a, we were in the faucet center and it's like 12 floors and we were going down from like the 10th floor to the first floor. And he tells he's like, so what are you going to do next year? And I, I'm, you know, I'm telling him like, I'm going to be here interning, I guess. And he literally was like, wrong answer. <laughs> you need to go back to school and you need to go to Ohio university. And at the time, I was like, no, no, and definitely not. Um, OU is maybe two hours from my hometown of Columbus. My mom actually graduated undergrad there. I had no clue where it was. It's in the middle of nowhere, right, in Ohio? Middle, yeah, it is. It is in the South Ohio. It's, um, yeah, Elma Hocking. It is a great campus. It's beautiful once you get there. But getting there, there's nothing. Um, and so I was like, I don't even know where this place is. I don't want to go back to school. And I literally started listing off all of the reasons why I wasn't going back to school. And one by one, Gene kept knocking them down. And he, you know, from helping me get into a GMAT study course, Hmm. um, to, 
connecting me with uh, Bruce Wimbish, who everybody knows. Yeah. Um, Uncle Bruce, who <laughs> then connected me with the executive director of the program at the time, Jim Kaler. Yeah. Like Jean literally just went through my little baby list of all the reasons why I wasn't going to go and just knocked and cleared them all out. <laughs> and so I went to, you know, as far as I'd studied for the GMAT, I actually fell asleep in the GMAT. <laughs> and I have no clue what I scored, but I can tell you it was not amazing. And so in my mind, I'm like, Jean, I'm going to apply to OU because you told me to and you connect me with these people and I respect you and, you know, you have a great relationship with my family. Great. I'm going to go and do this for you. And I'm only going to apply to Ohio University. And if I don't get in, I'm not going because that is the, <laughs> the universe telling me I'm not supposed to be at grad school. And I got in. <laughs> and I mean, Ohio University is like the one of the best schools you can go to for sports yes. management. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't. Yeah. You didn't know at the time? That's funny. No. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like one of the best networks you can have coming out of college. Yeah. I, lo- I love this story because you're just like, you're just going with like, it's like you're flying around in the wind and people are helping you land in these incredible places. <laughs> I love it. That's it. And literally a network of people around me that saw this young person just floating through life and living in the moment and existing, but they saw something in me that just needed some direction and a little bit of forcing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it really teed me up for an, an amazing opportunity and career. So clearly it was meant to be. Yes, it was meant to be <laughs> because... I, I mean, I, I, I credit so much of, of the success to, to date with, um, um, to the Ohio University Network, um, and to the, the program. Um, it's, it's definitely amazing. Um, you know, there's my, my OU, uh, plug, but, uh, it's <laughs> definitely worth, it's definitely, it was definitely worth it for me. Yeah. For sure. I mean, clearly it was, you know, you graduate with this master's degree now from OU. And then in 2014, you land your first really professional sports breaking opportunity with the Cleveland Browns in your home state of Ohio as a digital business coordinator. So how did you navigate, you know, obviously from OU with this master's degree um, into this great opportunity? And what did you most enjoy about your time with the Browns in this experience? Again, because nothing in my career can happen like a normal thing. (laughs) Um, I was actually at the National Sports Forum for uh, the first time. Um, They have a case cup competition. That's right. Yeah. And I competed. I tried out for our team at OU. Um, I was placed on the team. Um, I think at that time, you know, the, 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 not the brain test, but the test that tell you how, the Myers Briggs, Myers Briggs, yes. Myers Briggs yep. test, right? Whatever that is, was like I had the same thought pattern as Albert Einstein and like other geniuses, and that was my reason as to why I should be on the Case Cup competition, <laughs> and it worked. And so I got put on the Case Cup competition as the only woman um, through my male classmates, um, and you know we went to. NSF through Case Cup um, and came in second. That's a whole other story. It's very sensitive <laughs> it to this like day. It. It's very sensitive. Came in through Case Cup and coincidentally enough, that was the first year for 
the BDSE, the Business of Diversity in Sports and Entertainment, which mm -hmm. was a new program NSF had started um, to close the gap between the traditional sports, which is very male heavy, very um, white, and bridging the gap to be more inclusive of more racially diverse people. You know, we were out networking after hours at one of the amazing establishments that NSF provides. And I was having a conversation with a former alum, Dan McGalla, who actually created my first position out of grad school for me. Mm. Um, and then I had another conversation and met this man called named Kevin Griffin. Um, who was at the time uh, head of marketing at the Browns. I had no clue. I was just trying to get through all of these people who <laughs> the, oh, talk about the OU network. That was my first experience with the OU network because so many people who graduated from OU at NSF came up to me and came up to our group and was like saying how great we did and you're awesome, all the things. And I'm like, well, all the, who are all of you people? I have no clue who you are. Um, but you're nice. Do you want to give me a job? And so I was talking to, I met Kevin and Dan both at that NSF conference. And um, I ended up working at, at Dan McGalla's uh, agency for a little bit and had never talked to Kevin again until probably about eight months later. And literally Kevin um, sent me a DM on Twitter. <laughs> and literally said we need to have you at the Browns <laughs> and I was like I don't know I don't, I don't really know about that you know I know enough about football to be dangerous but yeah. not to the extent that I should oversee anything um but you know I ended up you know stars aligned I ended up in Columbus and went up to Cleveland um to really sell him on a product that we had and I ended up on an interview um, <laughs> he had conveniently printed out my resume all these people I'm meeting with to pitch them something they're all asking me questions uh, <laughs> and they have my resume and next thing I know, he's offering me this position as um, a social media manager or coordinator, I think is what it was called. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even do any, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and I got the job. So you go. He, he get, he, I got the job and I get there. And so I moved to Cleveland. It was an opportunity to be back close to my family. My sister at the time was in Ohio. She just had my nephew. I was like, great, oh. it'll be good. And so I ended up at the Browns. That's what, makes, that's, that's what you got to love about Kevin Griffin. Like he's one of the best people like, right. And, yeah. and I like how he and the team sort of like found this way to make sure that they're going to get you on their team. They knew that you were the, who they needed. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, I don't even know who are, I don't even, I don't even think I remember who Kevin was like until <laughs> we got into conversations, but it literally was a DM on the Twitter. <laughs> Hey, you know, it works. Like when we're, now we know if you're a recruiter listening, like DMs work. We should try this more. DMs, <laughs> slide in the DMs. Slide in there. <laughs> so after two and a half years at the Browns, you make a move in your career and you're named the digital marketing production for the PGA Tour. So, I mean, what a, what a, what a big shift in your career now. So what motivated this move and how was your experience navigating, you know, this new environment at the PGA compared to your time with the NFL? 
Yeah, the tour move was really rooted and I didn't want to be cold anymore. Um, and had another OU alum, um, a class a year younger than me, um, Preston McClellan, um, who actually was at the tour. He actually sent me the job description about um, this role at the Players' Championship. And I, I was like, I don't know anything about golf outside of Tiger. I don't know where, like the GPS called it Ponte Vedra, I think is how <laughs> the GPS. And I didn't had no clue what that was. Um, but what I did know was that it was March or like February in oh, Cleveland. Yeah. And these people down in Jacksonville, Florida wanted to fly me down to 80 degree weather and sunshine. <laughs> and I said, At, yes, if nothing else, I'm going to Florida. Yes. It was an interesting opportunity. It was something that, again, I'd never done before. And so it was really tasked with taking the Players' Championship digital efforts to the next level and using the skills that I learned at the Browns, specifically around generating money in this interweb space um, for the tournament. I think it proves too, like you don't have to know the sport. You know, I think there's just something that has to spark with obviously your experience, but also like what's it, your interest? Your interest was location. You know, everybody's motivated yeah. by different things. Um, but ultimately, I'm, I'm sure you probably didn't imagine yourself, you know, being with PGA no. as long as you were probably when you no went clue. in. But now, right. So you no clue. No you, clue. <laughs> but you invested in total five years of your career with the tour and you experienced growth while you were there. You were named the marketing manager, you know, by the time you were you know, leaving. So reflecting back, you know, what were some of those key takeaways from your experience growing and developing with the tour? You can do hard things for sure. Um navigating new spaces, navigating spaces where no one in the room looks like you, um, navigating um, in intergenerational barriers, right? Like at the time, selling tickets on the internet outside of Ticketmaster was not a thing. Like using social to sell tickets was unheard of. <laughs> and convincing, you know, my boss to give me $5,000 um, of the budget to do some social ads and rev gen campaigns that I think contributed to something like $80,000 in tickets or something wild. Wow. And it was all because of all the things I'd learned up until that point from, you know, the types of images we were using. Like I was, I know I irritated um, our graphic designer at the time, love her to pieces. She's so nice. She's so great and so nice. And I know I irritated her because I'm like, okay, look, I need a, I need a, a blue and a gold button, but I need one that says buy now. And one that says learn more, same image, same size, four different sizes. And these two variations, <laughs> no, I don't have any proof that either one of these are going to work. And yes, it's going to take you extra time, but I think it'll work and we'll be able to test it out and figure it out. Please just hang in there with me. <laughs> um, I, so, you know, really honing in and, and, and growing my skills and learning about the basis or the, the foundation of the internet and social media and revenue generation and how all of that plays together. Um, with a side of the importance of analytics mm -hmm. and understanding just how things on the back end work, 
I think I've been very fortunate in my career um, to know a little bit about a lot of different things, which has afforded me opportunities to have conversation with the people that are doing the work in a way that they understand and kind of translate between the people, like the, the designer and yeah. the salesperson. There was one partner who wanted, at the time, Snapchat was just starting. And so geofencing was so big. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to like do a, a geofence over the entire course. And I was like, that doesn't feel right <laughs> to me. I said, we can do a whole for this much, but they, it was a whole thing. They wanted to go through Snapchat and like bypass us. And I was like, okay, but your partner, it don't work that way. We got their rules and regulations. This is above me. I just know this don't feel right. But it was my foundational understanding of how things actually worked that allowed me to help them pivot into creating filters that were on brand for us and suited our, what our needs and advancing our purpose, but was on brand for them. Mm-hmm. That sounds, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you said, like just a re- remarkable experience of growth and development and navigating and learning as you go. And, and like you said, like you just almost, you had to feel your gut out sometimes too. Like it didn't feel right, you know, in those situations yeah. sometimes when you were able to make recommendations that ultimately led to good results. Um, and that's what learning is all about. You know, that's what development's all yeah. about. Now in 2021, you make another move in your career and you join Washerman where you are today mm-hmm. as a senior manager of the collective. So can you share with us what the collective is and how you determined this move was the best next move for you? Yeah. So I came in um, as a senior manager and after blood, sweat and tears was fortunate enough to be promoted to director. Whoop, whoop. Congrats. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but it was the network again, um, not the OU network specifically in this one, but um, a, former PGA Tour colleague of mine who now works at Wasserman and still works at Wasserman sent this job description to me for this um, new division or department focused on gender equity for women in sport. And I was like, I have no DEI background. I have no degrees. I haven't taken a certification. I work in social media. I can sell (laughs) things on the internet. That's what I can do. Um, the only experience I have is being a woman and being a black woman in sports. That's mm-hmm. it. And an athlete, mm-hmm. that's it. And so she sent me the the job description and um, I was actually applying for another job as well, which I fortunately looking back on, I didn't get. Um, and, you know, had the interview with, with uh, my, my boss there And literally, again, just running down the things of being completely transparent. I don't think I've been that honest or transparent in an interview in my entire life because I was literally like, here's what I'm not doing. I don't want to do this. I don't want to sell. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. What I'm good at is this, this, and this, and I can get things done. I connect the dots very easily. That sounds good to you. Holla at me. But I was so... (laughs) I was so comfortable in who I was. I'm pretty sure, I, I feel like I was wearing like a leather jacket or like my, my I have a Biggie Smalls t-shirt, but I was definitely not like suited. Everything they taught me that I needed to be in undergrad to yeah. be successful, I was not that. 
You threw all that out. Authentic. You were authentic. I was 100% authentic. And I was like, well, if you guys, you know, like what you see and you feel like you can tolerate me, I'm the woman for you. Uh, The world was fresh into COVID at that point in time. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we were maybe a year in or something. So that was interesting into the pandemic, um, which is a whole new experience of like, moving getting a renter from my I had just bought a house in Florida um and like packing up and moving and take starting a new job completely remote in a pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did it. you did it I did it. it that's not easy I mean that's just yeah I mean it's just one of those experiences where you probably just look back and go that's that was crazy but I'm glad I did it you know Oh, very much so. It was definitely yeah. crazy. I, I literally, I moved from Florida to North Carolina to be remote. So you mentioned that, you, you know, after a lot of hard work and blood, sweat, tears, you know, you're now a director of the collective. Mm-hmm. You know, so what do you most enjoy about your work and your goal and the contributions to the goals of the collective, um, of the collective in this role? The best part about what we do is we get to make change in now, but also we get to be part of this movement that, you know, is if you're thinking about a wave, right, it's kind of, it's picking up, like it's it's picking up the speed um, around women's sport um, and honestly in music as well. And just women in general, like the power shift is happening mm-hmm. and we get to be a part of that and a part of providing the business reason for women's sports, um, we are we are a big proponent, and we say all the time, you know, we're not here to tell you that investing in women is a, like the right thing to do. Like we all get that. Your North Star will send you to the North Star. It allows you to go home at night and sleep and be fuzzy, right? But at the end of the day, it's got to make business sense, and women's sports makes business sense. Yeah. And we're able to help provide the research and insights and the best practices and the examples from around the world of what happens when you invest in women and you invest in women's sports. Um, And so being able to be part of that movement and change and and the ability to stand up for people who I've never met and will never meet me, but being able to be in spaces to advocate for them and on their behalf and to really help change this industry for the better um, is is really what I was looking for. I, I knew I wanted to leave the traditional sports. I was taught, I wanted to use my powers for good is what I tell my mom. I wanted <laughs> to use my powers for good. I was, I was burnt out around continuously focusing on selling tickets, continuously, you know, focusing on the specific marketing and very tactical aspects of what digital and social is. And and honestly, you know, if you haven't hugged a social media manager today, everyone listening, please hug a social media manager because (laughs) that life is not for the weak hearted. And I just got burnt out. And so I saw this opportunity to do good business and do good work and to do good in the world. Uh, And that's what really sparked my interest um, and, and brought me to the collective. 
Yeah, no, it sounds like it. And it sounds like such remarkable work and sort of the team behind the team that's that's lifting women's sports, not just in our country, but uh, across the globe. And I love yeah. how you describe, you know, like the people that you're helping, the the women athletes and these these different, you know, sports entities that you're helping have no idea who you are. And that's okay to you. That's when you know that you're working from a place of heart, you know, and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's not for everybody. Cause I tell you there, you know, there are a lot of times we do work and we'll see our work somewhere else or, you know, we'll help craft notes for somebody else to say, and, you know, they, they get the credit and things like that. And for me, I don't care at the end of the, I'm the yeah. type of person, I don't care how we get to the end, but we need to get there. Yeah. Um, and so being able to use the relationships I've created over the years, the relationships that Wasserman has around the globe um, to facilitate change um, now, but also for the future. Um, and just to really advocate for the things women deserve. Um, these are professional athletes and deserve to be treated as such. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. There's this great quote that I've leaned in on a, a few times throughout my career, but it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's incredible what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And I think that, that really, you know, speaks to what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you literally put the, the egos and the logos and the credit aside, this industry could do really good things. Mm -hmm. um, and could do good work and good change. And when you do good work, um, you can do good business too. Like those things are not, you know, opposites of each other. You can do both at the same time. If I think, especially now where Gen Z and the next generations are going, we are, we, this society and this next generation, this next generation specifically cares way more about people than previous generations and yeah. they are inclusive by nature they are diverse they don't understand why their whole friend group does, isn't invited to whatever it is that you're selling um and they want you as a brand as a company to show up every single day not just during the highlighted month because if you just show up in the highlighted month they will call you out every time i speak to you know, uh, students that are in college or fresh out of college or below, I, I always challenge them to really understand if they actually leaned in and understood that they created this cancel culture, <laughs> like, although it shows up sometimes in ways we don't want it to, yeah. the power behind that, I think, is just so fascinating and they created it. Yeah. Like it's they be, have the power to do the things. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to your point. I mean, think about, you know, 20 years, 10, 15, you know, 20 years from now, what, what, how, how brands will show up because of the accountability that will be put on by this next generation. It's going to yeah. be, it's going to be really interesting. Now this, um, this last section of, of the conversation, um, I generally bring up, you know, themes from last conversations. And so there's a couple things that yeah. I just wanted to run through with you. Um, so the first is challenges, you know, so 
you know, mm-hmm. we've all experienced those challenges throughout our career. So for you, just reflecting back, you know, what's a challenge that you faced that helped you grow personally and or professionally in your life? Oh man, I would say the theme of the the theme of my life when it comes to challenges is somebody, no offense, but typically a man, told me I couldn't do something. Yeah. And at that point, like I, at that moment to me, to tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, what, like I'm going to do it. Um, and especially if, if I come to uh, you with an idea or a plan or something that I really believe in, you, you, words you do not say to me, it can't. Like can't is not a word that is in my vocabulary. And so for me, I think that overcoming can't throughout my career and just in life in general has helped me to get to where I am now um, because it started with, you know, it it started with a club coach who told me I couldn't play D1 volleyball outside of Ohio, like Mm. in high school. And since then, it's just been a lifetime of you told me I can't do something, me understanding why you think I can't do it, what areas you think I'm going to fail at, and then making sure that I'm prepared and able to show up in those spaces to overcome whatever you thought was an obstacle <laughs> and like figure out a way around it. There is yeah. always a solution. There's mm-hmm. always a solution. It just might not be black and white. It may be a little bit gray mm-hmm. and that's okay. But I live in the gray area. That's my specialty. Curious, do you perform better as a follow-up? Do you perform better with that chip Mm -hmm. on your shoulder? Uh, Yes. Yeah. I think it's the athlete in me. I think it's the athlete in me. When you're down and, you know, the clock is ticking and you've got the ball, like, give me the ball. Mm -hmm. I've always been the give me the ball person. Um, And so I think for me... It, it definitely has helped me perform better yeah. because at that point I'm, I'm now proving to you that I'm good enough. I'm better than good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not even just this answer to this question, but even your career path that you just shared with us and the experiences you had, like you can almost sense in your story, like pressure for you is a privilege, not knowing something mm-hmm. is like that it, you've sort of really thrived coming out of these pressure points of not knowing what you wanted to do with your degrees or throughout your careers and these challenges that you got from Gene about going to college and getting your master's. And it's that, it's that sense of that, that pressure is the privilege for you. It seems like. Yeah, I, I totally agree for you. I, or with you, I think um, I've always been taught that, you know, it it all comes back to sports. And I feel like I sound like my dad right now (laughs) because he's, he's the former coach. And every time we have a conversation, it turns back to sports my entire life. It didn't matter what we were talking about somehow or another related to basketball or football, Mm. or now it's pickleball. (laughs) Um, but, but I think Throughout your career, throughout sports, you're taught that if a coach believes in you, if a coach thinks you can do better, they're on you. Mm -hmm. They are challenging you. They're always telling you to do better. You know, if they say the cutoff is to run, you know, 100 meters is, 
you know, 13 seconds and you come at 13.01, that's not good enough because they see something in you. It's when you come in at 13.01 and they say, great job is when you need to be worried. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I've always been that person where somebody believed in me or somebody saw something in me and it forced me to raise to the occasion. And that's, I think, how I've kind of adjusted um, the word can't for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you don't, you don't really mean it. You mean you can't see a way to get this done. <laughs> but I can, that's mm-hmm. what I'm, that like that literally the conversation in my head is just that you can't see it, but I can. And I just need to do a better job of explaining to you or translating to you why this will work or why this can happen and how it can happen to a point where you feel comfortable enough to trust me to do it. Mm, I love that. Let's talk about lifestyle. So exchanging out yeah. the term work-life balance for lifestyle, how do you sort of manage yeah. your lifestyle so that works for you and the things that are important to you outside of work? Yeah, I am so glad you changed that phrase. <laughs> I am so glad because I think it's been, you know, as most terms have been thwarted and turned around and flip-flopped. I think for me, my lifestyle now, I think is one that I've, you know, it wasn't afforded to me when I came out of college. I think yeah. I had to work hard to prove myself to make pe- make sure that people know that I'm going to show up. Um, but I've also had to learn that every job isn't for me and that's okay. Every situation isn't for me. Every project isn't for me and that's okay. Um, and that honestly, at the end of the day, until I am self sustaining sufficient entrepreneurial can depend on passive income and by myself. Like I am, I am an employee. I am an employee ID number. And if I, if I work myself to the bone, to the point of exhaustion, to the point of the detriment of my mental and physical health and crash and can't do it anymore, somebody else will step in right behind me and do the work. Mm. And so for me, I have a really big focus on um, taking time for me um, to flex. Like I may work, you know, really early in the morning and then be silent in the middle of the day and then come back at the end of the day. Or I may work throughout the day and not be reachable after six o'clock. So, but the work will get done. And I think for me, I've, it's just been consistently showing up for myself and for my work. Another thing I learned at Ohio State was we would regroup after every, oh no, it was Ohio, it was the Browns with Kevin. And yeah. I remember there was a game where things were just every, Murphy's Law. If it could <laughs> go wrong, it went wrong. Um, banners were back you know, we're, we're wrong. Things didn't show up on time. Everything was going wrong. And, and he said, you know, but did anybody die today? And we were like, no. And he was like, okay, so it's not that serious. Let's start there. And it was like putting things like it's dramatic, but putting things into perspective, like if this does not get done by this minute on this hour, is somebody going to die? 
are we going to lose business? Is something so bad other than not getting in your inbox by this point in time going to happen? If the answer is no, it can wait until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always about perspective. I think that's the key. And that's what you've laid out just now. And so often, especially in our industry, you know, we sometimes lose sight of that. You know, you yeah. almost forget, like, this is entertainment. This is a sport. <laughs> this is, right. you know, like nobody actually needs it but man does it it's so fulfilling and I think that's where the pressure and Mm -hmm. the piece of our work that gets overwhelming is that all we want to do is deliver on whatever the aspect of our job is social media manager coordinator you know CEO president like it's about delivering for people and I think that's where it gets to a point where you start to almost lose sight of that perspective like it's okay if they get it tomorrow they didn't know it was yeah. supposed to come today you know exactly we know, we know that we wanted them to have this today but we but they have no clue yeah they exactly. have no no one knows they, yeah they have no clue no one knows that it went wrong and i think the sports especially has done in a such a amazing job of fostering competition um yep. from on the career side to the, almost to the detriment of the people in the industry like i think it is totally okay for somebody to say you know what i'm cool right here at this manager level like i'm good i'm oh and that's okay like i think people always feel like success looks like a promotion or an advancement or a bump and raise or an increase in um responsibilities I think we just we just need a cultural shift of like what does success look like for you and not this is what I deem to be successful and you're not hitting these you're not taking on this extra role or this extra work because that's what I deem to be successful and for you to take the next step and that person could be like yo I have like seven kids at home (laughs) I don't have time for extra responsibility I'm good right here (laughs) Yeah, you're right. That the shift is definitely needed, and there's a there's a cultural challenge there in the competitiveness. I think it's mostly because what you brought up earlier is you were an industry full of athletes, and it it's yeah. just instilled in us to compete and want more, and do win. more, be the best. Yeah, win, right. win, win, win. You know, and I, and it it definitely makes our industry really interesting, um, and yeah. probably what makes it fun. But at the same time. Like being okay in your role, knowing you are a role player and wanting to mm-hmm. be a role player is also very important for the team to win, whatever team you're on. Let's say metaphorically, yeah. as we talked about sports. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, some people are cool coming off the bench. Don't start me. I don't want to start. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't like it. That is not. I am good coming in, dropping these four threes a game and sitting back down. Yeah, I'm good. Yes. Yes. I love that. Let's finish up with some advice. Um, yeah. What, you know, so what advice would you have for those looking to grow their careers in this industry then who uh, may have started from a similar place that you did? Uh, I would say, listen to the people that are around you, like have discernment, um, obviously on, on who, on what they're saying. But if you surround yourself with people that are experienced and smart you're going to be okay. Like, I, th- I think we put a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on people getting, you know, fresh into the industry out of school or, you know, first two, three years into their career. 
there's a lot of pressure on them that they have to, you know, find their job for the rest of their life. And it's not that serious. It's not get a job <laughs> and then figure out your next move, but like get a job right? and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would tell people um, who are a little bit more in their career and even, you know, those that are executive level and above to continue to do, because I'm assuming they do this already, but if they don't, they should, is focus on creating genuine relationships where you can show up for people versus the LinkedIn networking approach. I love, you know, nothing against LinkedIn, Um, but, you know, there's something to say about the power of somebody who has really strong you know, a really strong hundred people that they're connected to that can make moves that they can show up for and that can show up for them um, versus somebody who may be connected to 5,000 people and have no clue who any of them are. Like this, I think the strength in your network is way more valuable than the number of the people in your network. Um, But if you start from a place of genuine, like, just want to get to know who you are as a human being I really don't want anything from you nor do I want to give you anything I just want to say hey like how are you you know how's your family what do you like to do um you know did you see that game or have you been caught up on the bachelorette like get to know people (laughs) talk about their dogs um show up for them in a thoughtful honest and authentic way and they will show up for you exponentially Mm -hmm. um and 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 think about, you know, the people that are around you to connect with. I think there's this thought that you have to network up all the time when oftentimes it's just getting, if you get to know the people that are around you at your, you know, your peer level, those people are going to be in leadership at some point in time. Yeah. So like get to know the people around you just as much as you want to connect with the CEO of insert big company, because I guarantee you the person that is at the bottom of the proverbial totem pole um, will have more time to give you than the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. It will, it will also be more valuable over time as well, because usually, you know, your relationship Mm -hmm. with the CEO, um, usually there's some sort of, reason why you want that relationship with your peers you know and the people at your peer level it's a little bit more authentic it's sort of growing together concept um it's really interesting go go hang out go like go just be be a kind human (laughs) like be a nice human that is my advice at the end of the day be a nice human that's it that's it that's all it takes that's oh my goodness Laura, it has been so fantastic having you on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your story, your insights. You're just, you are just a kind person. And I'm so happy that we know each other and that I was able to showcase your story and your career journey on our podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. And that's a wrap on episode 68. Thank you to Laura for sharing her journey and insights with all of us today. And as a thank you to Laura, our friends at Pro Sports Assembly will provide her with a one-year membership for her to join Pro. Pro Sports Assembly is an industry member-led association helping advance equity in pro sports. I want to thank Pro for their incredible support and believing in the mission of the podcast. 
And I encourage you to visit prosportsassembly.org to learn more about how you can also become a member. Now to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers community, follow us at Instagram at Women Blazers. And be sure to check out our next episode dropping Monday, July 17th. Until then, have a wonderful week and happy 4th of July.